بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد کریم الحمد للہ چنائی از دا سیکنڈ آف اکٹوبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد on the important subject with reflections on death and the afterlife. So in continuation, our beloved messenger, he clarified by way of a message to his daughter, whose daughter was on her deathbed. So one of his daughters, her daughter was dying. So this was the Prophet Sallallahu granddaughter. So his daughter called the Prophet The Prophet he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs what he took and to him belongs what he gave i.e. for you for a short period of time everything is recorded with him for an appointed term so this is recorded in Sayyih Bukhari, Sayyih Muslim and Shaykh Al-Bani in his Ahqam Al-Jana'is, page 57 of the New English Translation. So when his granddaughter passed away, the Prophet first was interesting to the Lord. He didn't want to go. He just sent a message. But the daughter insisted that he come. So when he did finally arrive, he said only this to his daughter. And can there be anything more pregnant than these words? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs what he took. In other words, it wasn't yours. Allah ta'ala gave you. And he took. And to him subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs what he gave. Then the Prophet said, everything is recorded with him for an appointed term. So look at the conciseness of speech. <laughs> he gave her all what she needed to know. <laughs> Meaning, there's no point leaving. The, your daughter didn't belong to you. Your daughter belonged to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's taken back what he gave to you. <laughs> And that was also written. <laughs> Not for a second more or for a second less could your daughter have been with you. <laughs> So what was the Prophet highlighting, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He was highlighting that the reality of death is something you should really focus upon. And as for those who foolishly boast about all their worldly accumulations and achievements, reflect upon Rasulullah's response, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Is there no death after it? This is in Behaqi, in his Shu'ab al-Iman, Imam Ghazali, Rahmatullah, in his Ihya, volume 3, page 424, in the chapter on the evil of arrogance and egoism. So you get people, and it's a common pastor. <laughs> Brother, what, what line of work are you in? So what they're really after is, how much are you earning, and what's your wage bracket, and how well are you, how successful are you in dunya? So what was Rasulullah's response when people started talking like this? Is there no death after it? <laughs> Meaning, what's the point of that? <laughs> When everything is left, <laughs> you're boasting about everything you've left behind. 
So does a person boast about anything he leaves behind? No, because it's not important. If you leave, for example, if you are going to do hijrah, you take everything that is important with you. If you leave things behind, what does a person know or think about the things that you've left? Because they weren't important to him. This is why he left them, the pots and pans. These are like worthless things. But imagine he finds out that you're now boasting about the pots and pans in the land of Hijrah. You think the guy's, what, what, you know, where is his sense? So the Prophet said, is there no death after it? Meaning you should be focusing upon death, not upon the distraction of the accumulation of this world. This is why famously Allah says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Al-Haqum you are distracted by taqafir. And taqafir means putting one brick on top of another. You are distracted by putting one thing on top of another. Until zur. Zur means a visit. Until you visit your graves. So Hafiz ibn Kahim said, what is our length of stay in the grave as compared to the world? So obviously for most, the stay in the grave is far, far longer. If I was to ask you, for instance, the greatest of creation, how long has he been in the grave? So Allah, 1400 plus years. How long was he with us in the worldly sense? 63 years. If I was to ask you, how long has Adam been in Right? He lived a thousand years. He spent much more time in the barzakh. So the grave is a long, long period of time. But Allah Ta'ala calls it a visit. Zultumul Maqabr. Until you visit your grave. So imagine, if the grave is a visit, then what's your time in the world? So really this surat, you know, people just rattle it out, mashallah, right? You are distracted by the piling up until you visit the grave. Right? So Allah Ta'ala is telling you that this life is really very short. You don't even realize, but it's critical, even though it's short. Dawood Atte, Rahmatullah he said, O son of Adam, you are elated when you get your wish. Forgetting that you spent your whole life to achieve it. At the same time, you are lazy in performing deeds. As though its reward is for someone other than you. <laughs> I, thus, why are you lazy in performing deeds when its rewards are only for you? This is recorded by Imam Ghazali Rahmatullah in his Ihya, volume 3, page 284, in the chapter on the evil of the world. So two things this respected Sheikh mentioned. Because you get so happy when you acquire something. But if you, so for instance, you get your dream house. <laughs> so you see people, they even cut the ribbon sometimes. <laughs> right? And then you say, okay, no problem. How much of your life did you waste to achieve it? When you ask that question, he goes, oh, you're just you're making me depressed. And he goes, no, I'm just, why, why, why is that making you depressed? So look how interesting, you're getting elated but what has it cost you? If somebody says to you, you know, I've, you know, I've got something, but it cost me my health. 
You didn't get anything then? No. In the fact you've lost out. <laughs> no, no, but I got it. But you can't even breathe. You need, you know, oxygen. So this is what the Shaykh is saying. He goes, you are elated when you get your wish, forgetting that you spend your whole life to achieve it. Then he said, number two, you are lazy in performing deeds. Now think about that. It's as though you are doing it for somebody else. <laughs> you know, if you actually see people doing their deeds, you're thinking, oh, he's passing it on. <laughs> it's like, you know, Isali Thawab. He's, he's praying Zor. <laughs> the way I, I thought he was praying, he's like, he, it's not for him. That is why you are so lazy performing deeds. Because you haven't understood anything. You must understand that that's for you. Deeds are for you. Nobody else. Nobody can do them for you. That's handout time. You're waiting for handouts. Right? Before we get to the handout stage, we need to you know, make some effort. So look how profound. He made two statements. Both. He was highlighting the illnesses in society which people failed to register. As our beloved Messenger once asked Abu Dhar, when you decide to undertake a journey, do you not prepare for it? Abu Dhar said, Indeed, Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet said, Then how about the journey to the last day? This is in Ibn Abi Dunya, Imam Ghazali in his Ihya volume 1, page 714-5 in the chapter on litanies arranged during the day and night. So now let's think about this. What a question the Prophet asked, He asked Abu Dhar, when you go on a journey, do you prepare? So let's pick a journey. He goes, okay, I'm going to go to see my family back home. He's like, okay. Have you got a passport? No. Have you got a ticket? No. You got a visa? No. But I'm going to see my family. What would you think of that person? He's, he's a fruitcake. How, how on earth are you going to... You got, you're not even prepared. So everybody understands that. It's okay. Let's think of another journey. You go to the airport. Let's make it simpler. You get to the airport. You get to the checkout. He goes, right. I'm going to Pakistan. Yeah. With your passport, I'm gonna it. You gonna take it? No. You know what flight you're on? No. You think he's freaking crazy? Yeah. So uh, the Prophet said, Don't you prepare for the journey? So Abu Dhar goes, Of course we prepare here. So we get the food, we get the drink, we get the transport, everything sorted. Even when you go on these day trips, you take sandwiches with you. <laughs> That's part of the preparation. Yeah. If, if you, even if you forget, sometimes, sometimes a person forgets to get the refreshments, what happens? Oof. You give him some proper grief. You go and he asks you to get that, you forgot that. <laughs> what if he turns down and said, you forgot the last day? Hmm? You're not preparing for the last day? Now what? Next minute. Right? So this is what the Prophet was saying. He goes, why are you preparing for all these temporal journeys and forgetting the eternal journey? This is why when you travel, Allah Ta'ala gives you a dua in Surah Zukhruf. Glorified and free from all imperfection is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has provided for us this transport. But for him we could never have accomplished this and to our Lord is the return. So this is the dua. People put it in their cars, mashallah. Very good, right? So why is it in your car? So don't forget the dua. It's all right, mashallah. But have you ever thought about the dua? 
what's the dua? Allah Ta'ala is telling you to thank him for the transport. Think about it. If there wasn't that transport, imagine you had to go to Pakistan without a plane. So when you're sitting, come to me on a plane and that great uh, stewardess comes, you should think, Alhamdulillah. You know, I'm getting served and I'm just sitting down. I don't even have to cook my own meal. So you, you do the dua. What a way to thank Allah Ta'ala. But what is the last part of the dua? And to our Lord is the return. So when you are making your temporal journeys from A to B, Allah Ta'ala is reminding you in that famous dua, don't forget the proper journey. To me is the return. To me is the return. So look how beautiful. With this dua is supposed to remind you in case you you know you slip into that you know you know that uh, automated mode. So this dua again, think about that. These beautiful duas that Allah Ta'ala has given, but we don't reflect upon them, Astaghfirullah. We just humbly ask our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala to help each and every one of us to prioritize what is truly important in our short but critical lives. I mean, this is why um, Sayyidina Ali, he said in Abu Nu'im al-Hidya, the journey is long, the provision is short, and the way is dangerous. The journey is long, the provision is short, and the way is dangerous. So this is a hadith of uh, Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah he wept over this. This moved him. So why did he weep over this statement of Amir al-Mumin radiyallahu The journey is long. So if you were to put into in our years, if I said to you, have an educated guess, we don't know. Well, how many years are you having to go through to get to paradise? So a person goes, I don't understand the question. It's okay. Average life, 65. Stay in the grave. I know you don't know. Well, I have a guess. 2,000 years. 2,065 years. Day judgment, 50,000 years. We know that, right? 52,065 years. Uh, Bridge of Sirat, for another 58,000. Uh, then you've got um, the, the, the accountability. How long is that going to be? <laughs> so let's just round it off. Let's say you've got, before you enter paradise, you got a 100,000 year journey. So that's the first part. The journey is long. Then Ali radiallahu said, the provision is short. What did he mean by that? What he meant was, if you have a 100,000 year journey, and you've only got 65 years to prepare for it, are you going to prepare for 100,000 years? Because the provision is short. Then he said, the way is dangerous. Not only is your time short and you haven't got enough time to prepare for that long journey, there's predators that will take you away from preparing for that journey. So this is why um, Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah wept over this. Why? Because Ali understood the value of time. <laughs> because here this is critical. One of the Salaf, he slept in the graveyard, he fell asleep. And uh, the dead came to him. And the dead said to him, he goes, we know but we can't act. You act but you don't know. <laughs> so the dead were like grieving because we know now but we can't do jack. We can't do anything. You act but you don't have a clue. You're just doing things. You, 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 you're pretty sure, you're pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So what's that then? 
Wait, I have to do it. Why do you do it? Because it's mechanical, mashallah, right? You don't know. <laughs> right? So that's the reality. But the dead weren't talking about everybody who's alive. If a person knows, then they praise that person. But how do you know about the deed? You have to learn about the deed. You know how to, you know how to acquire the provision. Could we thus not be like the blessed weeping trunk about which Buraidah said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hooked the trunk and said to it, If you now desire, I can now return you back to the very garden where you originally came from, so that you become a fruit-bearing tree once more. Or, if you wish, I can supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you a tree in one of the meadows of paradise, whose fruits the awliya will eat. The trunk answered in a loud voice, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I wish to be a tree in paradise from which the awliya eat and gain an everlasting existence there. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, I have granted your wish. This is in Darimi in his Sunan number 32 or volume 1 page 29 to 30. So let's look at this. So the weeping trunk, famously, it was a trunk that wept because the Prophet stood on the pulpit. This part is not famous. The prophets talk, spoke to the trunk. Now think about that. Trees talk. This hadith proves it. So when Prince Charles is saying, look, you should talk to the plants and people start laughing, you shouldn't laugh. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he goes, they get happy, they get sad. He starts saying, where is he getting this knowledge from? Maybe he's still a Muslim. But anyway, we know that the Prophet, you know, he, though it's a miracle, it proves that, you know, they have they have understanding, intellect, they know what you're saying. So what was the two options Rasulullah gave to the weeping trunk? He goes, you can go back to the garden where you came from. Now, what does that mean? It means that every tree starts off with, you know, from a seed. But the seed comes from the mother. It's, you know, the wind blows it and then eventually a tree grows. Because you can go back to your mother if you wish. That's what he said. You know, putting it in simple terms. Or, you can become a tree in paradise from which the Oliya will eat. So now think about This is a trunk. You know, are we less, are we more thick than a trunk? <laughs> the trunk answered, Ya Rasulullah, I want to be a tree in paradise from the Oliya who will eat and gain an everlasting existence. So the tree understood that one of the immense or not one of the greatest blessings of paradise is eternity. And the Prophet said, I've granted you this. There's actually a deeper meaning. The Prophet has got the keys to paradise. One hadith mentions that. Because he, he offered this to the tree. And notice, he said, I've granted your wish. He didn't say, Allah has granted your wish. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note, there's many things about the Prophet where people think this is going to shirk level. But the Prophet is teaching you, Mashallah, you know what? You know, I'm not a scholar, is he? The Prophet is saying it, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Another example of this was Rabi'a ibn Qa'ab, He was the servant of Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He just used to sleep at his, at his threshold. That's, you know, that was his life. So the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, would look at him and he was very happy with him, obviously, because he was serving him. So once he said to Rabi'a, he said, Rabbi, are you married? <laughs> so Rabbi, radiyallahu said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm looking after you. In other words, I've got time for marriage. <laughs> so the Prophet just didn't say anything. 
Some time passed. He asked again. He said, Nabiya, you married. So he goes, I'm looking after you, Ya Rasulullah. So then he realized that the Prophet wants him to get married. So he goes, if you ask me again, I'll say yes. So then some time passed. He goes, Nabiya, you married? He goes, yes. <laughs> right? Right? So, right? so the Prophet said, who have you married? He said, I don't know, Ya Rasulullah. Because uh, uh, I need to get married. So then the Prophet arranged his marriage somehow. And then he said to Rabia, he gave him some a bit of land as well. He goes, this is for you. This is like your gift. And then he says, ask. Make a dua. So Rabia, this is the hadith in Sayyid Muslim. He started thinking of dunya. You know, this is human nature. So he's thinking, oh, like but then he thought, astaghfirullah, he goes, well, he goes, dunya, he goes, this is going to go, gonna, I'm going to leave it behind, because I'm going to ask for the akhirat. But then he thought, I'm going to ask for something that I know I will never be able to get. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to be with you in paradise. So the Prophet then looked at him, is there anything else? And the scholars say this was humor, the Prophet was like, it's like a joke. But Rabbi didn't get it, he goes, no, nothing else. Look how interesting, you know, sometimes a person doesn't get the joke and the sunnah is not to, you know, yeah. to stop and say, oh, I, I just joke with you, didn't you get it? Yeah. They probably just ignored it, but yeah. the scholars say, look, Rabia was thinking, no, think of what else, me? <laughs> anything else, <laughs> you're asking me to be with me. So then anyway, the Prophet Sallallahu he says, I, he goes, I will make dua, but you must help me with sujood. In other words, make plenty of uh, nafal prayers. So the scholars point out the Prophet وسلم, didn't say to him, I can't give you paradise. <laughs> He's been given the keys to paradise. If a person has Iman, Allah has given him that authority. And he goes, Yes, but then he said, Offer plenty of nafil to show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anyway, what's this going to do with this hadith? Right? So this so this the tree, the tree was the same because ask, because I've granted your wish. In another report, to finish. In Ashifa Bi'ta'arif Hukuk al-Mustafa, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Volume 1, page 304-305. Our beloved messenger turned to his companions and he said, O oh people, look at this trunk that has given preference to the abode of immortality, Al-Baqa, over the Fana, the world, Darul Fana. This is why I've mentioned it. When the weeping trunk chose paradise. Rasulullah turned to the Sahaba. What did he say? Look, this trunk has given preference to Al-Baqa. Al-Baqa means immortality over Darul Fana, the ephemeral world. Now, why did the Prophet turn to the Sahaba? Because can't you do that? He said, you're going to choose the world. Even a weeping trunk understood. There's no accountability for the weeping trunk. He chose Baqa. So the lesson there is we need to learn even from these, you know, so-called lowly creations of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note again and also what's interesting, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He does not call the dunya Dar. Dar means a board or home. He only calls the akhir, uh, the next life Dar. The abode. So the Quran is highlighting this isn't your home. Allah refuses to call it home. 
Because your home is the next. So does that mean that we shouldn't have homes? No. It doesn't mean that. Obviously you have a shelter. But it's not home. When somebody goes to you, where do you live? <laughs> you say, I'm living in the world. As a traveller, you're supposed to say that, right? Well, my permanent address. Permanent address? You're saying permanent. What does that mean? Right? You know, and when a person dies, you don't think about it. You want people die. Think of the people who've died. Wasn't there a moment where they left their dwelling forever? Think about that. You know, you take them out of the house for the last time, or if they die at home, or maybe they go to the hospital, and they don't even realise this is the last time I'm leaving home. It's not home, is it? Right? But Bill still keeps going. You know, what about, oh yeah, we may God forgive. You know, this you know, council tax made me laugh. Mum passed away, Alhamdulillah. This was a letter. Sorry to hear about you, mother. You owe us. <laughs> right? And I thought, hey, what's this? It's because I was paying nothing. And then I checked with the, one of the experts. He goes, yeah, you need to pay him. I goes, what? Because they don't, they, because they're ruthless. Sooner they drop dead. Get him. One line. We sorry to hear about you, mother. You always <laughs> there's dunya, brother. Welcome. Right, is this what you're dying for? Council tax. So all I mentioned today was reflection again upon the next life. And note it's all about preparation. The Prophet said in Ibn Majah Sayyid Hadith, the most intelligent of you is the one who remembers and prepares the most for death. The most intelligent amongst you is the one who remembers and prepares the most for death. So the Prophet was saying, this is the intelligent person. He remembers and he's preparing. He's rolling his sleeves up. The one who's preparing more than you, he's more intelligent, the Prophet said. <coughs> the Sahaba were more intelligent than everybody because they were the ones who prepared the most after the Prophets. But where are we in this scale? You get some people right at the bottom. And yeah, it was fully, they might be right at the bottom, but they professors. But in Islamic terminology, they're actually simpletons because they're not preparing for the reality. And then you get the one on the top of the scale and they may be simple people, can't even read or write, but they're the most intelligent. And that also shows that Allah does not put the poor at any loss. Think about that. You can be the poorest person, but you can be the most intelligent. Allah is not going to put the poor at loss and neither is going to make the rich have an edge over the poor. Are there any questions you want to ask? سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واستغفرك